don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. Halloween, the children. Do you happen to know anything about this Cochran? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. I want a mask. Can I have a mask? Uh, just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, Cochran? Why? Do I need a reason? I've got nothing here to indicate there was ever a body at all. Operator, this is an emergency. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. You've got to believe me. They're going to kill us. All of us. Stop it! The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. The night no one comes home. It is Halloween weekend here. Here, there, everywhere. And what better film to talk about over the Halloween weekend than... Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. But here at Dose Incredibles, we have a special surprise today. We are going to be Dose Incredibles International. That's Insert logo here. Insert logo here. Because we have an Irish horror aficionado correspondent coming you directly from Cork, Ireland. Please welcome Brendan Hayes. Brendan, how are you? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you know, the internet is a is a wonderful place when it wants to be, when it's not being evil. Kind of like horror movies, it could be good or it could be evil. But it kind of brought us together on a very serendipitous year, right? This was the year that the dates actually matched up for Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. So today, as of this recording, it's October 29, 2021. IRL, but in Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, it is also October 29th right now. And we were dropping a couple of memes here, and you and I started talking. And I was just like, how awesome is it that you kind of jumped in and like you would be a great addition for this episode of, you know, talking about Halloween 3 Season of the Witch because you are right in the motherland, if you will, right in Ireland that can give the full context of where Silver Shamrock was born. I, I can certainly try. Um, I, I know, in fairness to John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, their, their hearts were very much in the right place when they wanted to tell this story. Um, there are a few inaccuracies in terms of uh, Irish things in the film, but we won't dwell on them too much. Um, you know, we, we definitely need to discuss Dan O'Hurley um, because I think he he contributed a lot to the film in terms of his Irish knowledge. And he's just an absolutely amazing actor as well. 
So Right. And like I was telling you, I don't think, you know, when I was younger, and I was telling Mario this earlier, I don't think I really sunk into me the Irish roots, even though it pretty much should have smacked me in my face because silver shamrock, there's a shamrock in there. So I just, but like thinking that this was built on basically an Irish curse and we'll get into the plot and we'll explain how does an Irish curse kind of get built in involving Stonehenge, which is one of the, one of the uh, inaccuracies that we're talking about, but it's just like, it was really right in my face the entire time. I mean, the main heel is Connell Cochran. Yes. Um, so if, if we go back to uh, the origins of this film, um, for those who don't know, and plenty will know, um, they finished up Halloween 2, which um, Carpenter and Hill were reluctant to be involved in because they, they just wanted the whole thing to end with the 1978 movie. And they wanted this to be the beginning of an anthology series. And Halloween originates in Ireland. And originated there over 2,000 years ago. It was that night when, when the Irish believed that there was a thin veil between the world of the living and the world of the dead. And they would, very much like the Day of the Dead in Mexico, they would leave out food for the dead and, and all these different customs. And they would dress up to try and disguise themselves from the dead. So I think Carpenter and Hill wanted to tell a ghost story. And they went back to the origins of Halloween, which was in Ireland. And their main antagonist in this, Colin Cochran, is just one of the best bad guys um, in movie history, as far as I'm concerned. I think he's brilliant. Yeah, and I totally agree. And we were talking about yesterday. What is the what was that? What was that guy's name again? Dan Dan O'Herlihy. Yeah, O'Herlihy. Yeah, correct. Yeah, he was he's, in the RoboCop. He's also before. in RoboCop. Has a huge part in uh, yes, Jonathan. He, he's brilliant in RoboCop. He has that very famous scene at the end where um, you've got um, the character. Uh, played by Ronnie Cox, I think, um, Dick, and and Robocop comes in, and of course he can't kill Ronnie Cox's character because he's an employee of the people that make the robots, and uh, Dana Hurley says, you're fired! <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then at the end, it's like, nice shooting son, what's your name? <laughs> he has a beautiful, rich baritone voice. Dana Hurley has um, a long history of, um, he did something like over 50 different plays in um, the prestigious Abbey Theatre in Dublin. Um, and then if you, if you go back, you've got like cult stuff. He's in Twin Peaks. Um, he's in both of the Robocop movies and he's got this season of The Witch. And ironically, he didn't like this movie. You know, I feel like there's a lot of actors at the time that probably considered a lot of these movies that have become cult classics to us at the time. They probably kind of considered them beneath them in a way or just kind of throwaways. But fast forwarded now, it's continued their legacy. I mean, it really has to the point where now they go to like a comic con or something and they get completely mobbed that of all these films that they were looking, thinking about, oh, I don't really want to do this. But it really did cement their legacy that you're never going to forget them. Actors can retire on this kind of stuff. You look at Tom Atkins, he's 85. And if he goes to a comic con, people love him because he's been in The Fog, Night of the Creeps, Escape from New York. Um, the list goes on and he's there signing autographs for people and, and signing all kinds of memorabilia and and fans love that they love the opportunity to get to meet their heroes 
Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I look at Tom Atkins and correct me if I'm wrong. Is he also in Creep Show? Did he have those sex books? He was in there. He, he was. <laughs> Can I just say Tom Atkins in Halloween 3, he's supposed to be a doctor, isn't he? Or a surgeon? He's a doctor. And he's yeah. like the most hungover surgeon in history. <laughs> Would you want this guy uh, doing a, a surgery on you? Yeah. He was, no. I mean, he was, he was walking <laughs> around with, you know, he had that six pack and he clearly was having problems at home. And then at the, as on the doctor on the side, he's also kind of getting into mysteries. He just kind of ditches his wife, right? And the kids and goes on this mystery solving adventure with a, with a hitchhiker, I think. Yeah, pretty much the, <laughs> the, the daughter of, uh, that was played, that was Ellie, Ellie Grimbage played by, you know, in the beginning, that was her dad, right? That gets it. So she just kind of, well, and we can start jumping into the plot since we kind of get in there, you know, we see her dad basically get to the face squished and with the very, signature John Carpenter music right out of the gate. So even though, like you said, he maybe wanted nothing to do with the film, he still has his fingerprints all over this. When you watch this, it feels like a John Carpenter film still. Yeah. The the main theme music is entitled Chariots of Pumpkins. Um, and it, it's a brilliant piece of music. I have it on my Spotify list and I enjoy listening to it. And and even the opening credit sequence is very much like an 80s Atari kind of um, thing with the pumpkin. And as you say, he's got his, his fingerprints all over it. Um, he done some of the writing as well. There's a bit of controversy surrounding the script, actually. Uh, we can talk about that in a little while. But uh, yeah, you're right. The, the film opens with the Ellie Grimbridge's father um, being chased by these people that work in the Silver Shamrock. And he's clutching this um, pumpkin mask from the silver shamrock. Right. And he would not let it go. Right. And he ends up in the emergency room with uh, Dr. Dan Chalice. Dr. Dan Chalice, full of beer. Yes. Full <laughs> of beer, ready to, ready to go. I'm telling you world's most hungover surgeon doctor. <laughs> yeah. What is, what, what kind of a doctor is he anyway? Did we even find out? Yeah, I don't know if, it was, if they actually say is what he pediatric was. Pediatric doctor. A, a doctor of. He's probably just this like ER doctor. Um, they don't really elaborate on it. Yeah. So, but I can tell you what he also is like. He's a Lothario because for right out of the gate, he's, you know, he goes on the mystery. And when he's in the hotel room, I mean, he just met her, the daughter at a bar uh -huh. and he already feels like he's kind of hitting on her. And then when they get that room together, it's like, should I sleep in a separate place? He's like, you know, you know, the answer to that. And he's is, like, well, like, whoa, that was <laughs> fast. Is he like a, is Tom Atkins sort of the, um, through line of all the John Carpenter films, he seems to be the same character in each movie, right? <laughs> He's pretty much the same character in The Fog. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And I tell you what, this really, and it was a reviewing that made me realize this, this really had like almost a reverse they live feel to this, right? Like yeah. they're amongst you, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that it was, it was all taking place, you know, in this one town, but obviously they had plans of like global global destruction yeah um yeah and and interestingly the uh area santa mira and uh, where, where that tone is with the silver shamrock they use that tone to film uh invasion of the body snatchers in 1956 oh wow i did so, not know that yeah so tommy d wallace refers to this the director tommy d wallace he refers to this movie as a pod movie so the, these yeah these characters that work for Silver Shamrock, they are 
you know, pod people. They're similar to pod people. Yeah, they totally got that vibe that, you know, they were very, I guess, like matronsy, like when you talk about an agent. Yeah. Well, you kind of don't know what these are, right? These sort of pod people, but they're also cyborgs and partially robots, but they're gooey robots with (laughs) faces, smashable faces. Yes, very smashable faces. But yeah, they were were very gooey. I read an interesting point, actually, if you think about it. Um, Dan O'Hurley plays the old man in Robocop, which is turning humans into robots. And he plays Colonel Cochran, as we know, in Season of the Witch, where they're turning robots into humans. Oh, so, boom. <laughs> yeah. Roll the prices right. Showcase showdown music. <laughs> like poetry, this stuff rhymes. I think a lot of these guys in the 80s, though, they just found a niche and they get cast as some sort of uh, some sort of similar thing through their, throughout their careers. It does feel like that. But let's go back to uh, Conal Cochran because, you know, we were talking about how he was such a fantastic antagonist because he was more like the slow, very deliberate antagonist, not kind of like in your face. It was very small and subtle. But I was really fascinated by his backstory because they're like, you know, when they were explaining, current, you know, Connell Cochran and like how he started Silver Shamrock, you know, novelties as we know it. It's just like, oh, yeah, he was all about toys and all about gags. But then he's like, yo, you know, he's very famous for the dead dwarf gag, sticky toilet paper and rubber chainsaws. And I was like, this guy sounds like a dick. <laughs> like, sticky toilet paper. Sticky toilet paper, soft chainsaw and dead dwarf gags is kind of like where his go to gags that were in the film and i was like who wanted these it was just like it was like an snl skit of just like you know johnny bag of glass it was just like these sound awful but he made a fortune on this but i mean again he's a heel right he is the antagonist and i don't know if he like that was a choice on that you know the delivery of his lines and the type of role he played but i thought it was fantastic there's one scene in it where um then Hurley he says that he he adopted this Cork accent to, to portray Cornel Corkin, even though Dan Hurley would have grown up in, in Wexford, which would be further up the country. But he has this air of divilment in his voice. Um when he's asked by Cup for, you know, how how do you make the masks? He says, Oh, it's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You know? <laughs> and it's it's really just holding his cards close to his chest and not giving anything away. Yeah, well, so oh, that's he, when it went into definitely final processing, right? Yeah. He's definitely a convincing bad guy, and you know his his air of um, just this, this false welcoming to the Kupfer family, and what he's going to do to them afterwards is just—it's really messed up. Yeah, I mean, and he was very, very calm, cool, and collective when he was just basically like, "I'm going to prank the whole world by killing their children, and it's going to be the <laughs> Get it's it? gonna, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be my greatest prank." Because, and you saw when he basically got his number one salesperson in there who's basically helping him to distribute, you know, the silver shamrock mask. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, watch, we're going to test it on his kid and we're going to watch him not only watch his kid die, but his wife's going to die and his snakes are going to come and he's going to get bit by a snake. And he was just like nodding approvingly. I mean, that was like really, and he was like, not no sinister laugh or no, like he was just like, yes, perfect. Get it. Like you said, he's just like, he wasn't, Gonna laugh at his own gag. He was nope. just—he was just gonna enjoy it. And wait, doesn't he turn that kid's face into bugs or something? Yeah, bugs and snakes. Turns his face into locusts. Yeah, his locusts. It was all types of different bugs in there, 
and then a, a snake had happened to be a rattlesnake. And then the rattlesnake is actually what kills his number one salesman, the, the father who dies, you know, cause that's, I, I remember, I remember when I watched this film for the very first time back in, in the eighties, um, I was probably about eight or nine and our custom in, in Ireland, when we grew up in the eighties was we would have these big bonfires on Halloween night and we would have started collecting for these bonfires around August. Um, believe it or not, uh, I know this may alarm you, but as a, an eight or nine-year-old, I robbed my father's chainsaw and I was cutting down stuff around the place, you know, to burn in this fire. <laughs> and I, I messed up his chainsaw as well, um, putting the wrong stuff into it. But anyway, um, I knew how to use it. <laughs> but when the bonfire was finished, um, we would retreat to our homes and we would see what was on TV for Halloween night. So we had seen the Michael Myers movies, and then this film was coming on, Halloween 3. And what I remember from it in was that scene with the horror mask and the snakes and the bugs and the scene at the end where um, they have the car accident, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, yeah, I was confused why Michael Myers wasn't in it, but I still enjoyed it. Well, yeah, he was he was he was meta in it, right? Because he was actually in it. Because they're they were, watching him on part of a movie. Yeah, yeah, they were watching him at the bar, and they were watching him at one other scene. And then I also found it was interesting that I didn't know that Jamie Lee Curtis actually is billed in this as the voice of the curfew announcer, the voice of the telephone yes. service provider, and then she's in there as Laurie Strode because of the archival footage from the TV. So she had three different appearances in this film. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting trivia about this film. Um, and there's a very interesting fan theory where somebody uh, thinks that the mask that young Michael Myers uses in the 1978 movie, uh, the clown one, if you remember, was manufactured by Silver Shamrock. Oh, see, I love that. I mean, I love that they, if they wanted to ever go to the sequel boot, route they easily could tie that's one of those theories that even if it was a fan theory that it just needs to be adopted as canon yeah because right now they're really getting into you know they're bringing michael myers back to his roots of like he's just the root of all evil they cannot figure it out but that adds such another layer that that mask could have been a silver shamrock mask that actually started this whole thing yeah well i'll tell you what there's there's also i have a i have a uh uh a question. What do you think, Brendan? Had they just released this movie as Season of the Witch and left out the entire Halloween title, would this have would this have been more or less popular? Because I feel I kind of feel like it might have just disappeared. I, I think that because they put the Halloween label on it, um if they hadn't done that, we may not be talking about it today. Because it, it's become this infamous movie. Because Michael Myers wasn't in it. I mean, <clears throat> even to this day, uh, Erwin Yablans, the producer of Halloween 1 and 2 and this, he says he's disappointed with it. Um, and, and I don't know why, because you know, it's a, got a beautiful cult following and it, it was successful. It made 14 million. Um, so I think if they had just entitled Season of the Witch and... Carpenter would have produced it, obviously, with Hill and then Tommy Lee Wallace directing it. Maybe we mightn't be talking about it today. But you're right; it was it was successful. I mean, it's and honestly, I think it's raising up as the perennial viewing is always Halloween, you know, the original. But I think this one is 
is having a really, really strong following that you're going to be rewatching it every year that, and I think, and I, I feel like it's great. I mean, I, I found, I saw this picture on bloody disgusting.com. It's on their Instagram page and it basically gives the timelines of all the Halloweens. You know, we were joking around in, on our other Halloween show where we were calling it the Paul Rudd trilogy, mm-hmm. but they actually took the time to do it. Yeah. So we have Halloween is basically the core, the foundation of all. And then they have three films, which they call the Jamie Lloyd Thorne timeline. And that basically goes from one, four, five, six, right? And then they have the Judith Myers timeline, which is two, H2O and then Resurrection. And then they have the John Carpenter new timeline, which is Halloween and then the Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, and then Halloween Ends. Then they have the Rob Zombie remake timeline that is kind of like running parallel. And then they just have the non-canon film that is just there. And I don't know. It just it's just struck me as like one throwaway slasher babysitter murders created almost like this very you know, minor Marvel cinematic universe of different timelines. The Halloween universe for sure. Yeah. It's, there's it's multiple great. there's multiple variants and different mask variants and different uh overalls variants. Yeah, and it's great. I was just like I, I kind of enjoy that they're taking these other swings at it where in a way this could become like a James Bond type thing. It's like this is gonna be a different perspective on it. But, you know, since we're talking about Season of the Witch, I would love to see it sequel booted 30 years later to revisit. You know, Tom Atkins would still do it. Uh, you can yeah, Tom he, Atkins is not turning anything down. Yeah, he would still do it. And just like he's and, probably got he's got like hot women all over him at the conventions and everything. Oh, too. he does. Yeah, he, he really does. He's one of uh, Darcy, the male girl's favorites. You know, yeah. she's just he, she has that Tom Atkins fetish that she's always talking about. And she loves Season of the Witch. But I think they can fast forward and make a sequel to this, but still tie it together to the main film series. And it would it would be very successful because it's, you know, for it became somewhat infamous for not, you know, the film that didn't have Michael Myers to now I think it stands up on its own. Yeah, I, I'd be very surprised if Blumhouse um, didn't plan to reboot this or, um, you know, remake it in some way, because go back to Halloween 2018, there were kids going around the place in, in as extras, and they were wearing those three masks, yeah. the, the witch mask, the skeleton mask, and the pumpkin mask. And then, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Halloween Kills, um, you know the way Michael Myers loves to display his victims, and he kills uh, Nurse Marion Chambers and two other characters, and he puts the masks on them um, when he puts them on this roundabout near the park. So I think Blumhouse would be very foolish if they didn't jump on this. Why not, right? Just give some director a couple mil just to go make – Just can you just go make Halloween 3? Use the same music yeah. and just give it – make sure it's four reels long and just turn it in <laughs> and make sure we can put it out. And what's, what's going to fill the gap after Halloween ends next year? People will want something the following um, Halloween, you know? Hmm. They will want something Halloween-themed. So they're either going to get get up off their ass and then make another trick-or-treat, which people have been looking for for years. Or, you know, I know, pretty that's not Blumhouse. But um, as I say, I would be very surprised if Blumhouse didn't think, you know, we need to make this and we need to release it in 2023. I agree. Because they agree. 
the next one is titled Halloween Ends, and they're not going to want it to end. They're going to, and it's not going to really cost them that much money. And I dare I say, everybody all year long recognizes the Michael Myers mask. But these Season of the Witch masks, if you wear them anytime between the last week in September and up to Halloween, pretty much the majority recognizes these. If well, you go to a con, everybody's going to recognize them. Just imagine them. how much Silver Shamrock merch you're going to you're going to move. Oh, wow, uh, yeah. You know? If you Everybody's yeah. going to want the Silver Shamrock, Shamrock uh, shirt and the hat, trucker hat. Yeah, I would absolutely like they can this is probably almost more merchandise like cuz you know with the traditional Halloween you're going to make money on the Michael Myers mask, but I feel like you can sell more merch as the Silver Shamrock putting the Silver Shamrock logo on there. Oh yeah. I'd buy Silver Shamrock candy. I would, you know, if just have that logo on there, I think it would be really, really successful. And like you said, Brennan, I think it'd be foolish if they decide to not go in that direction. Because what happens to, you know, when, like I said, once Halloween ends, what's the next thing? And I just feel like Season of the Witch is getting so much love. And every year it just seems to be growing. So... I know you guys talk a lot about gimmicks, um, you know, gimmicks from wrestling and, and gimmicks from horrors. The mere concept of, of, of Season of the Witches is a gimmick, but it's a very sinister gimmick, you know. And don't forget to watch the big giveaway. You know, all yes, this thing. And the big giveaway. The, I love that. The big giveaway. And this absolutely creepiest effect music, um, you know, that the London Bridge stuff is just eerie it's, it's rotten and and the idea of of killing kids you know i i don't know whether that will be very taboo in you know the next few years obviously it is taboo it, it's not nice but it's just it's rotten and it's it's um a horrible fiendish thing to do and the novelization of season of the witch ends with these children all dying and the Daniel Chalice character wasn't successful in asking the stations to pull the advert. So, and if you ask Tom Atkins, apparently he'll tell you that he was successful and he saved millions of children, you know, Daniel Chalice character. This really did have a Sopranos ending that I didn't realize it, but that ending is so powerful. Like his performance, you know, we made a meme about it, but that performance was so strong. And like you said, he left it very open to interpretation because back then, right, there was only three networks and he thwarted two, but did that third network stop when he started screaming? What happened after he stopped screaming, stop it? Did it stop or did it keep going? And, you know, Bren, you said the novelization said it didn't, but he said he did. And right there, that adds intrigue. It was like, okay, let's see what happened 30 years later. Did it get some? And now we're going to be dealing with millions of screens not just three broadcast signals, right? Yeah. You're, you can literally blast this out all over the world instantly. It could be a social media thing. There's a lot of opportunities here for uh, for this story to keep growing because it has a really deep, deep mythology. And I think that comes from, you know, Brendan, like you, like you noticed, there's, they try to build it in real world, you know, talking about witchcraft from the native, you know, Celtic lands, right? And, you know, ancient pagan rituals. They try to build it on something that people, you know, really did practice. Shout out to Tom Atkins for never breaking kayfabe, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is, that is a big shout out. His character throughout. So if you start at the beginning, his wife is played by Nancy Loomis who was uh, Annie in Halloween 1978. 
She was actually married to Tommy Lee Wallace during the production of the film. Um, he even hits on an older nurse, if you remember. He does, um, yeah. He puts his arm around her. He's like, how are you arse. doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have you break some, uh, some, break some ethical codes. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. he, he's promising dinners to another lady who is doing some work on, for him back in the lab. And the minute he gets to Santa Mira, he jumps into bed with uh, Ellie Grimbridge. Uh, so he, he's not afraid to get his willy wet. You know? no. <laughs> <laughs> he just sits that mustache and half a six pack. That's all it takes. Yeah. And he's just like, and he solves mysteries. And he, he, yeah, he, he was a great character, you know, and hats off to him that he's still going. And I think he's very, very believable at the end where he's inside in the gas station, as you call it, we call them filling stations. Um, and he's, he's pleading with people, you know, he, turn it off. He, he's roaring. And sh- that's quite a haunting piece of, of cinema. And I love it. Oh yeah. No, it, it, it holds up really well. It's like, it's, it's such a powerful ending. So can I um, ask a question? Maybe Brendan can shed some light on it here. And you might have to repeat some of this for me, Jeff, because yep. uh, I want to know, what exactly was the plan here? Was to take tiny... They were taking tiny pieces of Stonehenge and putting them into the masks? What? Where does this come from? Where does this whole idea come from that Stonehenge somehow is going to uh, shoot lasers at kids' faces? So I, I think, to be fair to the Deborah Hill and, and Carpenter, the idea of Stonehenge uh, being involved in this sinister plot was way too far-fetched. You know, I didn't buy it. But look, we go into films and we, we have this halo effect all the time. Um, we, we go as fans. So um, it's, the idea was that they were kind of picking off parts of the stone and putting them into these little computer chips. Um, because the even when Deborah Hill was pitching this, she called it, you know, a story about witchcraft in the computer age. Um so in many ways, while it's called Season of the Witch, the character of Conal Corcoran was probably, you know, your male equivalent, a warlock, as it was. And and he was doing this kind of spell which involved a British piece of architecture with methods from his old Celtic land. So I, I think if you dig into that too much, it just makes it sound a bit silly, but you, you forgive it for that. Yeah, you're right. You know, because it's just like, and he just kind of, you know, smirked when he was just like, Stonehenge, you know, you wouldn't believe yeah. what it took for me to get this over there. And he just really didn't give that much of an explanation of it. But like you said, this was more built on the Irish roots, but obviously with Stonehenge being in the UK, they're like, ah, just roll with it. It's just like, we're just going to call it, you know, European, even though clearly it is, you know, an Irish, would you call, Brendan, would you call this an Irish curse or what, where would you say the Irish warlock? Like where, where do you think the roots lie in the sinister portion of this? Um, Ireland isn't famous for witches or, or warlocks really. Um, so I, I think in many ways he, He's just this sinister character that you don't know a whole pile about. I mean, when, when Tom Atkins' character, Daniel Chalice, asks Conal Corcoran, why are you doing this? His response is, do I need a reason? <laughs> and, you know, then he just kind of starts talking about the 
the history of Halloween in, in, in Ireland. Um, you know, he has that beautiful speech about, um, as, as we say in Ireland, Samhain. I, I know the Americans call it Samhain, but we, we pronounce it Samhain. And, and he pronounces it perfectly. He says, you know, the festival of Samhain, um, when the dead would be looking in and, and watching upon us and our fires of turf. Um, and he, you just, as you say, you go with it. Because I, I think if anybody else had played this character, maybe it wouldn't have been so impactful on people because there isn't a whole pile of character development in Colin Cochran. There's an awful lot that you interpret yourself. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. It, you know, he just had this brooding presence and that's kind of all he needed, you know, and just alluding to that it was some kind of like ritual sacrifice based on, you know, some maybe some pagan ritual, something from the old land. But just his delivery made it, like you said, it was enough to get you by. There's like, OK, there's something. He's an older gentleman that believes in some ancient pagan rituals and this was going to be the sacrifice. But he's also a prankster. So he's just kind of like, can we just sacrifice him? Like, no, what if I magically turn, give them fatal brain damage and then turn their faces into bugs and snakes? My It'll last be- joke was sticky toilet paper. <laughs> the follow-up is your kid's face turns into bugs. <laughs> you know who you could compare him to? And fans would like this, right? So when he gives that speech and he talks about the hills running red with the blood of animals and children, he's, he's almost Thanos. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, you could yes. compare him to Thanos because he's just like, I'm just trying to be fair. <laughs> I think one thing that that we can agree on, though, as far as him being part of witch lore, witches across all cinema and uh, literature, they hate kids. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> is you, true. You right they there. hate kids. Yeah, they, they do hate kids, you know. Um, and instead of eating them like Hansel and Gretel, he just wants to murder them with these horrible masks. Yeah, and if you think about it, that's a little bit of what's going on, you know, and I don't dig too much into there's a lot of crazy stuff that's on the internet right now, but isn't there the whole thing of just like the the blood of children has this adrenaline and if you you know, if you drink that blood, there's the youth of that. It's just like is this something that's been around since the beginning of time and we just never got the memo? I guess, I don't know. Cuz it's terrifying and and look, that's my, basically your anything that's fear-based is going to be something that we're innocent is in danger. And like you said, what is more innocent than animals and children? And then if their sea is going to run, you know, red with the blood of the, these innocent <laughs> animals and children, you're going to be a little bit more scarce. And then Dr. Tom's like, I'm no longer a doctor. I am, you know, I'm the Hardy boys. I'm going to go figure this out myself. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go sneak into the lab. And I'm no, gonna I mean, s- he's like Indiana Jones, basically. He is. Because he's a doctor. Uh, on his spare time, and the other time he's solving mysteries. <laughs> he is absolutely solving these mysteries on his weekend, you know, trips to Santa Mira. But yeah, I mean, he was sneaking around the. He was like on fire, like when he got captured and they put him in the chair, and he's like, "That's fine, I'm going to figure out my way out of this." And he's cutting through seatbelts, and then, you know, he must have been great at the carnival because he took that mask and just with a flick of the wrist, you know, that mask yeah. landed right over the camera. Yeah. <laughs> And Tommy Lee Wallace, the director, said when he was doing that, that he, he landed the mask the first time. I'm not surprised. And, and a test run. But when they went to shoot it, it took him about 40 times to do it. <laughs> By the way, speaking of warlocks, there is a real warlock in this movie. Oh, really? 
Dick Warlock. <laughs> Dick Warlock plays one of the henchmen in it, and he was um, the guy who played Michael Myers in Halloween 2. Oh, I did not know that. Lots of Easter eggs here. So there you go. So obviously we have Nick Castle from Halloween 1978, along with Tony Moran and another few, uh, young Michael and and what have you. And then Dick Warlock plays him in in Halloween 2. And in Season of the Witch, Dick Warlock plays the character that um, Dan Chalice has this punch out with. And he punching him across the face. He's, he's, He's called the assassin in the credits. Oh, yeah. Assassin Android. Yeah, and is, is he the one that he, when he punched him to blow the belt, and then he, all the yellow goo came out? Yeah, and you know what that yellow goo is? That's mm-hmm. just concentrated orange juice. <laughs> yeah. That's so. all that is. Yeah. I thought so. so. So that's Dick Warlock. Wow, I did not know that. See, that's what I mean. There's so many. In, there, this has just Carpenter DNA all over it. Yeah, and there's and I think it's a great addition. I'm glad that it is part of the Halloween lore and. It may call it you know miraculously serendipitous as Randall Reader put it that it, they added this to and tried to go to the anthology because now people are always going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So so I was reading about some of the location stuff as well. You know, just because I was trying to figure out like what other DNA is actually part of this film. And said most of the filming took place on a location in a small coastal town of Loetta, California, which Brendan, you're talking about when you make the trip over to the States that you're interested in doing somewhat of a film tour. And I know you're talking about visiting the, you know, the original Michael Myers house. Would you stop at the familiar foods, which is the milk bottling plant in Loetta that served as the silver shamrock novelties factory? My, my plan for next year, I've only ever been to the U S um, I've been twice. Uh, I've been to New York twice. Um, I've never been anywhere else in the US. Um, so my, my plan next year is to travel to South Pasadena in California to where the Michael Myers house is because I'm just this huge fan of the franchise. I really, really enjoy it. I want to go over and immerse myself in, in that. Um, and if it was nearby, certainly, you know, I, I'd like to go and see it because I plan to try and do LA as well over hopefully 10 days. So... Um, I've been to a lot of other different countries around the world and I've kind of seen what I want to see. And as a movie fan, you know, I want to do the LA experience and the I want to go and see the location for one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. No, and it's just like you said, and you're saying in, uh, you were actually in or around uh, Cork, which, you know, again, serendipitously, you said that was the accent that, you know... Uh, Daniel Herley, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Herley, he that that he actually adopted that from, you know, that area where you're from. How was that? How was that accepted in Ireland? You know, is this something that they considered? Oh, it's like, oh, this is nothing like how it is really here. Or do you feel like it honored the area, or if it was just kind of like a th- a throwaway stereotype? Like, how do you how do you feel about that? Well, uh, to be fair, <clears throat> he he comes across with this very seasoned um, accent. I mean, Dan O'Hurley would have played Macduff in, in Shakespeare's Macbeth. He would have done dozens and dozens of serious plays in the Abbey Theatre. So he was, you know, this beautiful, rich baritone voice and, and just... 
his Cork accent. We wouldn't necessarily talk like that. I, I, I don't know what I sound like to people in, in America and other places that might be listening. Um, but there are differences in accents. Like, for instance, the city accent in Cork would, would kind of go up on Octave Avenue, talk like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we have different accents all over. But what we do get annoyed with is SNL, for instance. And I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan, Right. But I've just seen some sketches that SNL have done and they've absolutely murdered our accent. They really have, you know. And they've gone down the stereotype road of talking about shamrocks and, and leprechauns and it just gets silly. And it, they sound more Scottish than Irish. And Right, I've noticed that. Yeah. Well, I think it, it had a lot to do with, you know, uh, Dan Peter O'Hurley. I mean, he actually has... Irish, true Irish roots. So at least when they booked this character, they got somebody that actually has the roots and has not only the pedigree, but the roots to actually pull this off effectively. Because to me, like you said, when I was younger, I didn't really think too much about the Irish roots of of like how deep the roots were. It just looked like it was, it was part of the film. And I think that being so subtle is a compliment that it was just like it wasn't something that was thrown in your face to just be like uh, a stereotype, right? Because you know, you know, the silver shamrock logo and everything. I it was it was handled very respectfully, I believe. Well, back back in the mid eighteen hundreds in Ireland, we had um, a great famine, and there were millions of people um, died and immigrated from Ireland, and that's in many ways is where the Halloween tradition would have transferred to America and and other countries as well, because people would have immigrated to America for a better life because um, there was just some, you you talk about real life horror in this country. People were starving to death. And and, um, there's even a suggestion that Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula and other Irishmen, that he may have found the influence from the famine in the mid 1800s. Oh, wow. Now, he, he was born later on in, um, I think around the late 1800s, but his mother would have told him stories of the famine where they were so hungry that they would have killed other people and possible cannibalism. Um, wow. I know that's a very controversial theory, but um, that's one of the theories that Bram Stoker got his idea for Dracula because of these people that were killing each other and, and eating each other because they had no other food. Yeah. And I, you know, being, you know, I that, believe it. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds very plausible. It's yeah. just like, there's no reason not. And obviously there, you know, that part, you know, especially Ireland, there's a, there's a longer history than it is here in, in the U S that you would go back to. And I think it's, there's with that longer history, there's going to be a lot more, folklores right a lot more urban legends and then a lot more actual atrocities that happen that would have influenced a lot of these people and i guess in a way that was such a in back in the day there was a lot more fear-based mentality going around right because people were there there was the wars were more brutal you know they were a lot more in your face the the famines were real and that is what the influence was going to be right so just 
I, that sounds very plausible that that's where Dracula came from, which I, I didn't know that until you told me that Bran Stoker actually was Irish as well. Yeah, and the other thing, like Bram Stoker would have toured a lot of the world, but ironically was never in Romania. Um, another theory surrounding um, the genesis of Dracula is that Bram Stoker had some childhood illness for about seven years and that there may have been bloodletting involved in, in trying to help him recover. Um, so I know a lot of people think that Bram Stoker's Dracula goes back to Vlad the Impaler. But look, it, it's like anything. There's, there's different theories and arguments about the genesis of this and the genesis of that. And it's actually quite fun to right. come up with different theories and debate them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So what would you want the the legacy, you know, for you being, you know, actually in Ireland, what would you want the legacy in your perfect world to be of Season of the Witch? Um, as I say, we go, we go back to the concept of the halo effect when you go in and you watch a film. You, you forgive the inaccuracies, you forgive the far-fetchedness. And I just think that, as I said, Carpenter and Hill's hearts were very much in the right place. It was great that they decided to do a movie um, about Halloween and, you know, bringing in the Irish element just, you know, pays tribute to the country of Ireland where, where the origins are. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, it's not a perfect film. It, it has its inaccuracies, you know, as we, we've discussed. But in terms of legacy, I think it's it's a great movie and I would really welcome a remake, certainly. Okay, here's my pitch. I know because Blumhouse listens to this uh, podcast all the time. Here's my pitch. Tell me what you think, Brennan. We're going to start off the Halloween 3 uh, reboot sequel, but we started off in some, it's 1982 or whatever, uh, and some kids are coming home from trick-or-treating, and they're trying to watch the big giveaway, the Silver Shimmerway, and they turn it on, and they go from channel, channel 1 turns off, channel 2 it cuts off, and then channel 3 it doesn't cut off, and then they find their faces turn into bugs, and that's how we start the new Halloween reboot, and then cut to the present day. Yeah, bring it on. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't, I wonder, the idea of killing children, as you know, we said, it's not a nice concept, but will that be accepted? Uh, or will the controversy even promote the movie? Yeah, and I don't know. Like, some of the most terrifying movies, they kind of went with it. And I was curious how they were going to do that in It when It came out. I was just like, are they going to really pull his little brother into the sewer and shoot? And they did. They went all out. And another yeah. one that really sticks with me was Pet Cemetery. You know, when he gets hit by that truck, you yeah. know, it's, it's just like. Well, but the, it, it's, yeah, they sort of swerved it in the remake. Yeah, they, they didn't. They didn't do the kid. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they didn't do it in the remake. Yeah, You're right, did, but in they the, did the older sister instead. Oh man, and I just like, but that's part of again when when innocence is in danger, that's when true primal fear actually rises up in you. So it would be interesting if they did go with an angle, or if you wanted to, like, how would you guys feel about if this guy, you know, he's a, he's basically a magician, and what if he turned it into all some weird illusion? And he really didn't turn the face into bugs and snakes that that's what you saw. And then all of a sudden the kids kind of like woke up and it was like more of just like some kind of mind control. Would that take away from it or that add to it? of just like, oh, what is this guy really trying to do? Well, my experiment was almost like Scarecrow 
in Batman that he's just trying yeah. to create like a fear toxin, but this, instead of a toxin, it's actually something that actually triggers in the brain to create fear, to almost like bring the consciousness of the world down to just be in more in this fear mode, because, you know, as the emperor in star Wars said, fear is a powerful ally. What if that was the trick you wanted to do? And, and then that's how, well, we wanted to do that. And so we experimented with Michael Myers and, you know, that's why, you know, we gave him a silver shamrock mask and then he haunts everybody every year. So now every year, everybody's walking around in fear of this babysitter murders. What if it's actually just more about building fear? I think John Carpenter would love that pitch. Yeah. <laughs> let's get him. Let's get him on. The, let's get him on the call. <laughs> Do the soundtrack now. <laughs> the thing about his character, we, we discussed Corcoran, you know, the, the development of his character. I, if you go back to Rob Zombie's Halloween movie, right? He, he tried to give this elaborate backstory to Michael Myers. Some people hated it. Some people loved it. I, I personally, I would think just leave Corcoran as mysterious as you can. Yeah. Don't don't tell them too much. Yeah, um, and just that mystery alone of, of why he's doing this is is fearful and it works. It does, yeah. And what about you know? Speaking of like Carpenter has a, a he has a very like a type. Like you said, we were talking about the DNA. Uh, if we if we jump forward towards the ending, did you notice the the similarity between? you know, Ellie's story arc compared to the same story arc of the character Holly in They Live by, you know, Meg Foster, that in the end, the the main protagonist kind of lost their number two, which happened to be the, their quote unquote, if you want to call them girlfriend or whatever you want to call them, they were still fighting for them. And both Roddy Piper's character, Nada, and Tom Atkins, they lost their, like he literally had a like, he was, you know, the night, a couple nights before, he's in bed with this girl. Next night, he's like slamming her through the windshield and hitting her across the face with a tire iron because she's, our, well, although it was the android version of her. Wait, she turned out to be a gooey android? Yeah. So how did that even work? Like, how did Tom Atkins not know that before? Well, no, when they brought her to the Silver Shamrock factory after they were captured, they don't, I don't, this must have happened off screen. You yeah. never seen what she happened. She got swapped. Yeah, she got swapped. And it, it, again, that's why it felt very much like the same thing from They Live. You know, when, remember when Roddy Piper was like, Holly, like he saw her across the hall, like, what are you doing now? You're just walking around. It was something very similar where, you know, Tom Atkins' character was just like, oh, there you are. You're just in this room. I'm going to just, unbuckle you and then we're gonna run and she played the gimmick the whole time right mm -hmm. ellie was just like oh let's duck let's go through and she didn't break her cafe until she was in the car at the end then you know after they quote unquote won you know and they were driving away and now like yeah. okay we beat all the androids we beat carnal cochran now how do we stop it because the signal's all out and all of a sudden she's trying to squish his face and I was like, that felt very, that felt like very John Carpenter too. Like you were going to get you one last time. It, it was the same thing to me. I, I wonder, I wonder about what actually, what her fate was. I, it's never explained whether she's an android throughout or whether the person that he rescues is just an android and not the original Ellie Oh, and Grimbridge that he yeah. meets at the beginning of the film. You're right. So again, that's open to interpretation. Too. Yeah, they left it very much open to interpretation. Because I thought it was very strange, just like, 
you know, because right when we first see her, she just finds him, of course, at the bar because that's where Dr. Dan <laughs> likes to hang out. She just kind of walks into the bar. And I just thought it was like very like, oh, that's strange. It's like, oh, I saw you at the funeral. You know, was there another cut scene that I missed that, you know, did they, you know, because back then, didn't they have like the made for TV version? Was there a funeral scene maybe that I missed? I've never seen a funeral scene in this no. no, they but they referenced it that oh I saw you at the free funeral oh, and no. man and just like they were on the fast track. So I'm assuming that she wasn't an android, but I don't know, man. He's the ultimate prankster, just like you had sex with one of my androids. <laughs> 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 so maybe the whole thing another, is just like the ultimate he's the ultimate prankster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just trolled you. I, I love that piece in the film as well where um Tom Atkins showers the factory floor with the badges, you know. Oh yeah. And, and Dan, Hurley, Dan Hurley, he just gives this little, this little clap, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh yeah, when he made it rain, yeah, he, he did just to give the very subtle clap. I, yeah, I'm doomed now, but er, to hell with it, you know. Yeah, and uh, it's just like, well, he, like yeah, like just like a comedian prefer, you know, appreciate somebody else's comedy. He's like, okay, you one up me, you created this circle, and I do like it, you know it. I think if they just like, if they never made another film again, it's clear that, you know, Stonehenge, he got, you know, lasered to the face, similar to the girl at the hotel who randomly finds that thing on the ground. It's like, oh, metal, let me scrape through it. Yeah, let me oh, stick, you a, just let got me stick shot a in the paper face. cup in this. I would have liked to have seen a cut scene, maybe like following the, uh, maybe a post credit scene where uh, Dr. Tom, was Dr. Dan? Dr. Dan, yeah. Dr. Dan, Dr. Tom Dr. Atkins, maybe like he's like, he's totally... Uh, shocked and mortified by what's just happened, you know, and taking in the gravity of it, and he has to go to the bathroom and gets hit with that sticky toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> the sticky toilet is like, oh man, this whole place is filled with nothing but gags. <laughs> yeah. The, the- Another interesting piece of trivia, as you, you mentioned, the woman in the hotel um, who gets her face just lasered. Oh, man, it was a gnarly, that was great uh, practical effects, too. It that looked was really tough. gnarly. Oh, really? That Tom, yeah, that was Tom Atkins' wife at the time. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, that was yeah. that. It looked really good. It had that 80s feel. It's just like, wow, that was just like, that did some serious damage. One of the things about these this movie that I think makes it, uh, that just makes it last so long is you don't really know what the rules are here. You don't know what's, what is what. Like, you know, you, you see uh, a horror film, you understand the rules immediately. It's like, don't say these words, don't turn on the TV or you'll die. This is just kind of all over the place. There's lasers and goo and witches and Stonehenge. And just you don't know where the horror is coming from. And I don't know. I think it makes it kind of creepy. Yeah. There's, he has a deep bag of tricks. And look, look, who's to say with the sequel boot, if they, you know, he was clapping at the end because it's just like, yeah, you tricked my Android version of me. But now you actually go back because I'm assuming like this factory, it could just be a satellite factory and the actual factory is in ireland that's what i would like to see and i think then it's like now now you're really again expanding that universe it's just like oh yeah that was just an experiment that we were just taking care of the you know see what happens in santa mira you know but like any good technology like we've been working on this for decades and now that the internet's here we can really blast this out and then really get back into you know its irish roots and you can you know, bring that same character back. I, I mean, I think there's the pot again, maybe because they kept the rule book a little bit vague. It really makes the possibility endless because it's really easy to retrocon anything you want now. And everybody's a huge fan of this. You're getting more 
you know, like Bloomhouse, they they were clear when they were on, you know, the last drive in that they're fans of the series and they didn't want to commit and say anything because they just maybe they don't want to jinx it. I, I would, I'd, I'd love to see this being remade in, in Ireland. I know that would probably cost too much money for them to come over here and do it. There isn't a whole pile of um, horror movies made in this country, actually. Um, but there are some quite decent ones on the same token. Um, I do think, going back to the production of this movie, that it definitely left a bad taste in people's mouths because, as Mario says there, there's rules and there's lasers and witches and all kinds of stuff going on. And Erwin Yablans, you know, as I was saying, doesn't really like the film. But this was actually the last movie, the last one in the Halloween franchise that John Carpenter was involved in. He didn't get involved in another Halloween movie up until 2018. Right. Tommy Lee Wallace looks absolutely jaded when, you know, tired and worn out when he, he's discussing it. Um, I think he tries to put a brave face on when he's discussing the, the film. Um, but it just sounds like the, especially the reception as well to the film afterwards, that they did an awful lot of hard work. Yeah, it was a bit all over the place, but... It's great that they were rewarded with this cult status um, after the film was released. Right. And unfortunately, I think it's coming off very much like, you know, the artists like the Picassos and the Van Gogh that, you know, end up broke and like in a gutter that their art is not appreciated <laughs> until later on. Because I feel like this film's legacy is growing. And maybe since they felt the actual pain of this going through and they lived through this whole the the decades when people thought, oh, my God, that was horrible. Yeah. Just bring the guy with the knife back. And, you and you, <laughs> you know, like, you know, making a film is a haul. It's grueling. It's exhausting. It's emotionally taxing. And can you imagine, you know, just going through all of that, putting everything into making a film and it comes out, it just does nothing. And then sort of it goes away. But then, you know, 30 years later, folks appreciate it. You're just kind of like, okay. Thanks. <laughs> aren't, aren't they two of the hardest things to do? I mean, I, I like to make um, films in, in my sh spare time. But as I was saying to you recently, Jeff, um, I'm afraid to make a horror film <laughs> because they're two of the hardest things to do, to scare people and to make people laugh. Oh, yeah. And But on the same token, there is a massive audience out there for horror. People just can't get enough of it. I listened to you guys discussing the Friday the 13th franchise recently. And whilst they tried to finalize some of these movies with, you know, the final Friday, um, it just people wanted more. So we we are definitely, um, you, you talk about Shudder, right? We, I, I can't get Shudder in Ireland. Um, I'd love to, you know. So I rely on Netflix and um, Disney Plus to try and get my horror movies or my, my satellite. There are a few horror movies on YouTube. Um, Body Bags by John Carpenter. I saw that recently on YouTube. Uh -huh. Yeah. Have you seen that film? Yeah, I've actually haven't seen the whole thing. I, I've watched the beginning multiple times. I love that. The first story is based in Haddonfield. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, is the, 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 is the, Haddonfield several times. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I've not seen that. That one's either. hard to find for some reason, that movie. Um, it should be on YouTube at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. I, yeah, because I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. It was like John Carpenter's uh, anthology movie. He was sort of like, he was the he was the crypt keeper, 
and you know he had like three short films throughout. And I think I did see it all because Tom Atkins was in that one. Wasn't that the one where he was trying to grow his hair out or something? He was losing his hair. That was oh, Stacy wow. Keach. Oh, that was Stacy Keach. Oh, Stacy Keach was in that. Okay. Wow. Um, Sam Raimi is in it, and Toby Hooper, um, he directs the third installment, him of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. David Norton from An American Werewolf in London is in it. Um, Robert Carradine is in it. There's quite a few horror um, film people in it, so it's a good movie. Wow, and that that you just named, like, legacy. There's so many legacy uh, actors in there, again, that people didn't appreciate at the time, but they appreciate now, yeah. you know, and some of them are just like, or maybe thankful because they get another, a whole nother career out of this because of movies like they probably didn't want to do like season of the witch, you know, but, and think about it, even Tommy Lee Wallace, like later on, he still did a lot of, uh, he directed a lot of other stuff too, he did a lot right? of TV, I think. Yeah. Cause he actually, he would, he's the one who adapted the Stephen King's it the first time. That, oh, right. Yeah. That's the one right. that was on TV, you know, yeah. which, to me, you know, the Tim Curry, that that it clown holds up just as much as the current one, too. Right. right. People still, I guess you can tell by the gifts of how strong it is. But I think he had something to do with uh, Fright Night and Amityville 2. Amityville 2, Fright Night 2. Yeah, here it is. Amityville 2, Fright Night Part 2, uh, Max Headroom, uh, Twilight Zone. So, I mean, he did continue to work yeah. afterwards. But like you said, maybe he just... He was just worn down. Here's but. my new pitch for for Jason Blum. Go ahead and get a deal with Hulu going and give John Carpenter his his anthology series that he wanted to make. Oh yeah. And the, the you know the, the the pilot can be Season of the Witch and then take it from there. Or maybe that'd be the finale, but Oh yeah. That's like but There you go. Make your Halloween anthology on Hulu. That's the slam dunk. Yeah. I think people would even eat that up because I think the Season of the Witch especially is just like it's probably rich enough that you can if you can spill it out over a couple of episodes, you know, maybe sprinkle them in, like maybe yeah. that's the starting episode. And then part two will be like episode six. And then part three, you know, the final part could be like part eight, yeah. you know, and to really just kind of breadcrumb and, and really spread it out because the Halloween stuff has that automatic annual viewing, right? You're going to watch horror movies and especially ones named Halloween or Halloween themes between September and October for sure. That's when you're going to get the bulk. You get people that watch it all year round, yeah. but you're going to get those return viewings just as much as you get people watching, you know, Elf and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer every December. You know, you're going to get those return viewings every year. There are a lot of people out there that would like Halloween to be an all-year-round thing. Some <laughs> people love Yeah, I mean, me in particular, I, I love Halloween more than Christmas. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of other people like that too. Oh, yeah, so no, they People really get into once, the spirit. Yeah, once October starts, um, I really overdose on, on the horror films. Um, and, and throughout the year, I would try and watch um, horror films, you know, as well, depending on what they are. Um, I want to watch this new Zack Snyder movie over the weekend, Army of Thieves. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. I don't want to know too much about it. I just want to go in and, and enjoy it. But, you know... Certainly, I would have sought out a lot of films this month. Like, I watched Night of the Creeps recently. I watched um, Body Bags, like I say. I watched Halloween 1 and Halloween Season of the Witch and, and so many other things because you're just in that spirit here in that frame of mind. 
I got to take a poll. What is the ultimate Halloween movie? You know what mine is. It's Return of the Living Dead. I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you did have Return of the Living Dead as your number one Halloween movie, which is a is a great pick. Uh, I don't know. It's tough because it's just like I, I feel like the season for me does still revolve around Michael Myers. So I still go back to the OG you know, just the original 1978 because it just creates a vibe and it has a lot to do with its music. But like I said, there's a lot of people that would say Season of the Witch. But for me, I still go with the original Halloween. Brennan, I don't know uh, what would be your number one Halloween movie of the year. So we have Return of the Living Dead, the original Halloween. What would be yours? Uh, hands down, it's um, Halloween 1978. Okay. Yeah. I just have brilliant memories of, of watching that film as a kid. Um, because you know when you watch these I I asked somebody there recently who was 20 years of age um, a a colleague at work I said uh, what's your favourite horror film and they said Insidious so obviously that goes back to when they were growing up and it was probably one of the first, first horror movies they've seen and for me the first one I remember watching was Halloween and I loved it and don't get me wrong I, I love George A. Romero's um, Night of the Living Dead and, and Dawn of the Dead and Return of the Living Dead is, is you know, a lot of fun too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That really was that made it zombie takes, movies It takes fun. place on 4th of July, but to me, that's just the perfect Halloween film to, to watch on Halloween or to really get in the spirit. It's just got that sort of like one night of horror, of terror and it's got it's got scares, it's got comedy. To me, just it's such a fun watch. I mean, for... Um, the Halloween season. Yeah. I remember coming out of the theater, watching that in the theater in 1985. And I just like had the biggest smile on your face. Like, wow, they really made. And it's also fun... got the downer ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. I was just yeah. like, Oh, that's it. Sorry. We're going to just take out the whole area. Yeah. But yeah, it was just like, that's when you really started getting into making horror fun because this season for the most part, like he's like Brendan, like you were saying, a lot of people think Halloween is, you know, they appreciate it more than Christmas because if they're doing it right, they're having fun, you know. We, we grasp at anything we can um, in terms of horror media for Halloween. So if we want to watch horror films for Halloween, we, we watch zombie movies, we watch slasher movies. And then even in terms of music, we, we go on to Spotify or some medium and we'll find things like... Um, Heads Will Roll by the Yeah, Yeah, Yes is a song. Uh, It's a great song. Uh, The Monster Mesh is still playing. Anything at all is Halloween-based or themed. We just will devour it. Oh, yeah. It just, again, it it puts you in that state of mind, like any kind of like Christmas jingles or whatever, that it just kind of gets you in that state of mind. But I would still, you know, I would add the asterisk that every year that you do watch Halloween 1978 on Halloween, you should add Season of the Witch of that as annual viewing and probably Trick or Treat. After watching that this year, I was just like, okay, that... So I would have to have a trilogy. Like, every October, you have to watch at least those three films. That's solid. I can't understand, actually, why they don't make more Halloween-based horror movies. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit... To me, it's just like, it's a slam dunk. And like Mario was saying, that it just like one night of terror... It's just like having it contained into one night. I mean, The Purge made, you know, so much money off that theater. Like this is when 12 hours danger is going to be heightened to new heights for that. And it really adds, okay, now I know the rules. I just got to survive for this amount of time. One night of terror is 
Well, that's even a really good title, One Night of Terror. And that's what just based around Halloween when everybody's already kind of hiding, masked, the, the, the veil between the physical and non-physical is very thin. So all bets are off. I'm into it. Yeah. So, Brendan, thank you so much for being part of Dose Incredibles International episode. So what would be – I'll give you the final word here on Season of the Witch and Halloween and being somebody, you know, the horror aficionado correspondent of Ireland. What's going to be the final word? Final word is for anyone listening to this podcast who hasn't watched it for quite a while, um, go and rewatch it. It's currently on Netflix. Um, and I'm sure you'll find it somewhere else if you don't have it on the Netflix in your country. It's a lot of fun, some great acting in it. And, and, and I repeat what I've said again. You know, there was great heart from John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. So go and enjoy the movie again and and lobby for a remake. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Give um, it to us, Blumhouse. Yes. We need it. He's listening. You're okay. listening. Do it. Dark masks. Gather round your TV set. Put on your masks and watch. All witches, all skeletons, all jack-o'-lanterns. The third Gather commercial, it's still on. Please, watch take off the third channel, the third channel. It's still running. Stop it, please. For God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to... Please, stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop